bonus episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the New World Pictures podcast bonus episode. We've got a really good bonus episode lined up for you. I'm Ryan, with me as always is Mark. I got a huge bonus for this episode. <laughs> and Erica? <laughs> I've got a lady bonus for this episode. Oh, we've all got bonuses. Um, because we're talking to our good friend Alan Holzman again. We already talked to him last month about his movie Grunt, the wrestling movie. Uh, so if you want to listen to that episode and, and listen to him talk about that, you should listen to that after this. Go for it. Actually, pause this. Go watch it. Come back. I, yeah. Mark wants you to watch it. And so however, whatever that means to you for a podcast, <laughs> take it. Get the subtitles. Take get it, it transcribed. Somehow <laughs> project it onto some kind of wall while you listen. Mark at New World Podcast, send me your address. I'll come over. We'll watch it together. <laughs> then I'll come back here and we'll continue Whoa. recording. That's the kind of commitment that I have to making sure our viewers or viewers. listeners. Viewers. <laughs> We're he's, viewers. He's convinced that people can watch us. People, I'm oh. watching you guys. How are they not watching us? How does the internet work? He. Oh, no. Well, I, I wondered what those cameras were doing suddenly in our house. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yes we talked to him about grunt we were not going to talk to him about this but uh, as alan mentioned in that interview he had three phases of his career uh, at new world the first phase is he was an editor only and he edited a couple movies and then a second phase where he comes back and he edits battle beyond the stars which is great because he just wrote a book about this it's called celluloid wars it's available on Amazon Great book. and from Pulp Fiction 2.0. Mm-hmm. Pick it up, grab it. You should definitely uh, read this book. It's excellent. Mark, a New World podcast. You should, you should also, also watch, watch it. You should also watch the book. <laughs> watch yes. the book. Yes. Watch it with Mark. It's a, it's a great watch. I will yes. come over to your house and right? read the book to you. <laughs> Story <laughs> time with I am Mark. so excited for somebody to take you up on that offer. This is going to be... <laughs> Um, you can't get this from any other podcast. Nobody is offering to go to your house. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Anyway, so pick up his book. We will be talking about the book. This episode, we're going to start in phase one. So we're going to sort of go chronologically in this episode. Before we get any further, though, I really want to give a shout out to Dave Parker. He is he is a trailer editor, was a trailer editor for New World Pictures towards the end of their career from, I think, 87 until the end. Um, we are going to have him on eventually as a guest. I swear, Dave, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we, maybe we should have him on as a viewer. We, we should. We should. <laughs> I've been I've been going about scheduling this all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave was nice enough to say you should talk to Alan. Uh, I learned a lot from Alan, and you know, so so he put me in touch with him, and now we have a two part episode after already talking to him last month about Grunt. We're now going to be talking to him about his entire career. This is the the interview I was trying to set up at first. But if for those of you who are NWPP VIPs will recall, we I contacted Alan and said, hey, we're going to be talking about Grunt tonight just to let you know. And he's like, well, do you want to talk to me about it? And we were like, uh, OK. So mm-hmm. we got a bonus interview with him on top of this bonus episode that we are going to be doing. This is part one. In two weeks, we'll have. Part two. Now, to start this uh, off, I just want to uh, I want to uh, make uh, the audience, the watching audience, our viewers, <laughs> the I viewing wanna, audience, yes. our viewing audience. This is being recorded in a live studio, in front of a live <laughs> studio audience, right yes. now. 
Applause! Um, when Alan... Shit, I don't have the applause sound effect. Damn oh, no. It. Oh, what? God. You think I'm fooling around here, you goddamn bastard? Think I'm playing some half-assed motherfucking game? Yeah, we still got that loaded up. <laughs> um, we don't have applause. Yeah. We don't have silly sound effects, but we do have Tatum O'Neill at the ready, anytime. At the ready, anytime. A certain fury, just feel that fury. Just ready, just ready. Just ready. <laughs> so uh, just, to, just to clarify for people that are going to listen, when Alan starts talking about his career, he gets put into to a job at New World by a friend of his that directed a short film from AFI called Wednesday from 1974. He never mentions the title. It's a Marvin Kupfer film with Jack Lemmon in the lead. You will hear it and you'll know what I'm talking about. But just so you know, the title is Wednesday. But we're so excited for you guys to listen to our chat with Alan Holzman. He is an absolute delight. I, I dare say we can call him a friend. Can we call yeah, him a I friend? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And he, yeah. I, he has so many incredible stories. So I'm excited for everyone to see it. Yes. You're going to hear not only some incredible stories about New World Pictures, so many that you haven't heard before, but there, you're also going to hear a lot of stories about Hollywood in general that are mm-hmm. hilarious. You you are not prepared for some of these stories. It's going to be a really good time. We promise. I also want to mention when we talked to Alan, we said, "Hey, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the rest of your New World career." But but Grunt, don't worry. A Grunt is off the table. Uh, Alan said, "A Grunt was always off the table," which <laughs> was just so funny. And unfortunately, that's not. You're not going to hear him say that, but. So funny. I want to give him points for that. Uh, but anyway, enjoy this episode. Here is our the first part of our interview with Alan Holzman. My best friend at school, and uh, it was interesting how I met her because I came a week and a half late on purpose. I had gone, uh, uh, I knew as a stutterer, I didn't want to inter- be there when everyone was introducing themselves to each other because you can never say your name as a stutterer. All stutterers are have that Hmm. um and no matter what it is you know and so i always said my name like alan you know and that that just began it so i figured if i came late then i wouldn't have to worry about any of that and and then i at lunchtime i didn't want to sit next to anybody because we we had we were in beverly hills at the doheny mansion which was donated to this city of of beverly hills because there were two murders at in the house of people who were in and the murders took place in the servants' quarters where the editing rooms were. And I got into AFI because I, I had had a lot of editing ex- experience prior to going there, including the Orson Welles commercial. Mm-hmm. And uh, But my friend, this woman came up to me, a young woman who was a graduate of NYU, and she was kind of the so- social chairman because it was a whole con- contingent from NYU, including Marty Brest and Jacques Haitken. And the next year was Amy Heckerling. But uh, anyway, so she saw in my bio that we went we went to the same college, Western Reserve Un- University in Cleveland. And I didn't stay there for the full time, but, I, I, but uh, we, I had two and a half years. There, so that's how she started talking to me. And then she introduced me to everybody. And then I didn't have to meet anybody. I didn't have to talk because she really liked to talk. In any event, she that's why it works for Ryan and I. Yeah. <laughs> he does all the talking. It's brilliant. So she had taken 
over the editing on a Marv Kupfer movie that starred Jack Lemmon that was like the AFI showpiece. It was shot in 35 millimeter. It was a great story. Jack Lemmon was playing a radio DJ who listened to women sob tales about their husbands and stuff and everyone, their, their love lives. And he would give them advice. And they were, she was on the show talking about this affair she was having and her husband recognized her voice on his way home. And he calls the station and says, I'm going to kill my wife. And he, and he can't, he's helping and he hears it being killed on, on, you know, on the radio. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, So she took over uh, the editing. (laughs) And um, so it looked like she was the editor, but she really wasn't, but she was at, she was making trims and final trims and Julie offered her the job. Okay. Uh, Julie Julie Corman. Yeah. And that was Julie's first movie. And right. she recommended me. And so I went in for my interview with Julie and all I, and I showed her my films and she really liked this documentary that I edited about a sandcastle being built in a day and it gets washed ashore. And, um, but she does, I, I just said, yes. And she, she said, will you work six days a week? Yes. For two fifty. Yes, 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 yes. One, one assistant. Will you have the, the finished the first cut three days after we filmed, yes. And, you know, and I got, you know, I was there, but it, it was madness in the office and everyone was running around and the director, writer, Alan Holub was on the floor with his script and people were trying to get him to change words and he wouldn't change a word. And Julie found him at UCLA because uh, he had a student film there that was funny and charming and cute. And I guess Julie was a fan of comedy, whereas Roger was not. Julie had one ambition. She told me this only thing that matters to her is that she can do a film cheaper than Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Just to rub it in his face. (laughs) No, no small task, really. (laughs) But, you know, she's quite, you know, she's amazingly interesting, really charming and, you know, really educated you know she, and I, I i think she did have you know a tendency not to you know seek the violence it was just given and she did have she did pick a director who was char- char- charming and did a charming piece so yeah i think that's a good observation for her yeah did she uh, did she have much guidance in terms of the editing process or did no, she, she said, I you depend go? upon you for everything she okay said, i don't know i don't know anything about editing I'm I'm a novice at this. I want you to do it because you have experience, and uh, I'm going to trust you completely. So was that? Uh, how how? What was your reaction to that? I mean, was Good. I, I could see myself. You could, myself. I would just start shaking in my boots. Like, what am I going to do now? Please don't screw <laughs> this up, Mark. Don't screw this up, Mark. <laughs> oh no! I, I I just like no one telling me what to do. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's true. And you and you were at the time. So when you edit, get this job editing New World Pictures, you're not actually at New World Pictures, or at least in the offices they have at the time, right? You're, no, no, but because all I, the editing went. Their office then was on Sunset. Okay, right? yeah, uh, right near La Cienega, mm-hmm. and they had the second floor, which meant they had access to the roof, and that's where Roger shot all of his inserts. Pick wow. Up wow yeah like if you okay. had to meet someone on the street low angle nighttime no problem low angle you got all the inserts are there wow right that's amazing and but you edited i think it's like a jack raven and associates that, i think yeah, it's where he was deal, with jack, <laughs> deal with jack raven was that 
he would give Jack Raven all the opticals because, you know, this is on film. So opticals, when you wanted to make a dissolve or titles or any kind of visual effect, it had to be put up on two cameras that face each other and shooting off the negative, et cetera, or the inner, inner positive, et cetera. So mm -hmm. it was a complicated and expensive and time consuming procedure. And so Roger made a deal with Jack Raven that he would give all the title and optical work in exchange for free editing rooms. Okay. Wow. That's and a deal. That's a good deal. <laughs> and adjacent to my editing room in a smaller room were Joe Dante and Alan Arkish cutting trailers and Candy Stripe Nurses was the first trailer that they cut. Okay. Was the first for the, the ones that they cut, the first one for them. Yeah, the first trailer for them. Wow. Wow. Hmm. And nobody, as far as you know, in those editing rooms have been murdered at some point in time. These were un were unmurdered rooms. <laughs> Right. Those, Unlike those at AFI, have... there were these rooms <laughs> no, no, where only only some of the comedy. That's the room where the comedy in Death Race got murdered. Yeah. So Ryan comedy went to die. <laughs> well, that that joke backfired on you, Ryan. No, it's right. <laughs> oh, it worked yes. out perfectly. Sorry, I'm just going to start keeping score. Alan won. Right. I witnessed the murder. Really. Yeah. I know. I know. I can't. I, that's two. He's got you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it wasn't that. It wasn't that because at the same time, because I was a student with the editing experience, the AFI had their annual, their second um, AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. They had the first one with John Ford the year before, mm -hmm. and as great as John Ford was, and um, or is at the time, and 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 as great as his movies are they showed scenes so the the evening didn't have a rise and fall and it had a beginning middle and end over and over so the, the there was no momentum built, built up in the evening so they wanted to have montages and they asked me to cut it for free and uh and i was on a kind of a scholarship there because they gave me they said here's the money for tu tu tuition it's a loan but you don't have to pay it off so you know that's what it was. It was only 20, it was $2,500 for a year in those days. Wow. So um, what I did, it was in the second one was for James Cagney. And so we got from Warner Brothers, all the black and white films and made two copies of the films and I made a mag track uh, off of that. And then I cut up one series of prints. And then after the cut was locked, then I, I matched and overcut e each of the scenes with a fresh print and made the splice marks, the splices below the frame line. And it was projected interlock for the evening. And it was perfect. It was an amazing evening. Frank Sinatra was the host. And wow. Um, wow. And it's just one, that simple. Was, like editing's just that easy. I mean, for <laughs> our listeners taking notes, like <laughs> let's let's hear it. You're yeah. ready. Probably just right. Done and done, right? It's just so there, there was one great thing <laughs> during the evening. Uh, Jack Lemon and uh, Shirley McLean were giving their tri tri tribute, and Jack Lemon was going on and on and on. And then there was a voice. This was at the Century Plaza that had just opened up, and Century City was like the fu futuristic city. And my good friend at AFI used Century City as a fu futuristic town, and uh, and so Jack was going on and. You heard this voice from the the audience, the tables. Get off the stage, you're drunk. <laughs> oh. 
And then there were all these whispers from table to table saying, it's Sam, it's Sam, it's Sam. And it was Sam Peckinpah. Oh. oh. And then I left to go in the lobby later to get a drink. And then I saw Sam Peckinpah there getting, and the, the, the bartender was this big man dressed in this, this red thing. And he was refusing to give Peckinpah a drink. And Peckinpah slugged him. Oh my god! Boom, like this, and then the, and then the, people were holding him back, and that's the picture that got released in the LA Times the, the next day. Wow! Wow! Holy um, moly! But so, the print looked yeah. amazing. Pardon? <laughs> but the print looked amazing. <laughs> it actually won an Emmy. The show won an Emmy for spe- special achievement. Oh wow! Awesome. But here's the here's the catch, and this is kind of key to my career in a way george stevens jr didn't want my name on the program because he didn't want people to know that a student did it cbs put it on their titles and then they went on to do the afi awards using the same format never never recognized me at all you know anyway Mm. And uh, yeah, as you said, as, a, as sort of a theme, speaking of, because you're now, you're now editing Candy Stripe Nurses, but you say in your book, like that in both the movies you edited early on, like the directors always wanted to fire you. Yes. Which I found surprising because I, I was like, I can't, I can't, I, I just don't understand. Most of the stuff in those kinds of movies in those days, a lot of directors were shooting scenes in almost single takes with, with not a lot of coverage. I can't imagine somebody taking, you know, umbrage with your cutting, but what was his beef? What was Alan's beef with your? Well, he didn't actually, it's just to, he never talked to me about not liking anything. It was Mm -hmm. like, if you have a complaint about the footage, it's the editor's fault. It's like, you know, it would be better if I had a better editor, you know? Right. Mm. Right. So he didn't like what he was looking at, but he just blamed you for it. He wasn't in the editing. He was looking at it on a screen and like, you know, Get me a new editor. You know, it's not. I you know, yeah. I don't know how to explain it. No, 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 no. You used it as an excuse. You know, you're yeah, the first. You're, yeah. you're the one that wasn't hired by him, etc. Right. So often the DP is, and yeah. uh, but but Julie defended me both, and, and with John, Jonathan and Crazy Mama, the exact same thing happened. Yeah, and Crazy Mama in in your book, you also mentioned a blurb from the LA Weekly that it said a movie whose brilliant potential was ruined by an unsympathetic editor, <laughs> which seems it sounds very personal for an LA Weekly. Well, uh, well yeah, quote. Jo- Jonathan's father was in P- PR, so he had all these. He oh could get gosh. it in. And but it's interesting because Joe. I have so many problems with all these relationships. (laughs) I have a lot of fundamental issues. Joe Dante came up to me after the the first screening in the theater when it opened, and he came up to me and he said, "I really liked the editing. You know, that was really nice. That's great." And but I had a I had arguments with Jonathan that I eventually won. Um, which was that I thought the pace should be f- faster and he liked keeping things in one take. Right. And I just okay. thought the comedy was too over the top in one take and yeah. the editing would make it, would give it more momentum. It wasn't, to me, it wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I was trying to save him by making him look better by keeping the pace going. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't right. like altering the story or anything like that. Right. 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 Do you think he just, he just wanted a more artful 
uh, remake of Big Bad Mama, which is he probably crazy wanted mama. a woman to be editor. He probably wanted a woman to be editor who could soothe his ego and talk to him. And oh, you know, okay. I wasn't that at all. I didn't like to talk. You know, I just did the work. Yeah, and I don't know. I you know he's a great. He achieved such greatness. I you know it's stupid to be critical of him at that moment. But there's an interesting story with that, in that Shirley Clark was supposed to be the director. Right. This is the woman who directed Portrait of Jason, which I absolutely loved. And if you've never seen that, it's amazing because he uh, gets uh, drunk on camera and reveals all the stuff about his life and homosexuality and all this stuff in his past. And I wanted to do that with stuttering. Mm-hmm. Mm. And eventually I did with my movie. I wasn't drunk when I did it, but I knew that I could talk <laughs> about it if I were really drunk. Because I, right. I didn't stutter when I was drunk. And you'd see my stuttering start disappearing as I got drunk. And I would reveal stuff about, huh. you know, the early part of my life that you right. know, affected me. So when I was hired by Julie, she was the director. Uh, and then she was supposed to come to a casting thing, but she went to get to a dental appointment. And Julie was furious that she went to a dental appointment. She fired her. So I think they weren't getting along. She said that she thought Roger hired her because he thought he could control her because she was a novice Mm. with feature films. And she was no novice. Mm. You know, she was Mm. an amazing director. So So you did get to interact with her, at least for the short period that she was. I didn't interact with her at all. I just saw her and, you know, it was like. I just, I, but I really liked her. You know, I really yeah. admired her work. I saw her work in New York. And, but Crazy Mama but, comes out and actually was a success. Did that, yeah. did you feel vindicated then at that point? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, people don't go, oh, the editing was great. <laughs> yeah. True, true, true. No, but the, the interesting thing with that, here, here's, here's where I had like, you know, no fears as because it was always the film first, you know. Mm-hmm. Top Fujimoto was shooting second unit, and Jonathan's soon-to-be ex-wife was the director of second unit. And I love second unit stuff. I was going crazy for it. And I told Roger about it. And I, and I like I and I built scenes around it. And I was and and then I was criticized by Jonathan for liking second units so much. And then he winds up hiring Tak Fujimoto for all of his movies since then. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, Tak was shooting all the chase scenes with the wide angle and running through the bushes with them and just yeah. doing great stuff. Yeah. You know, and low angles and, you know, and, and John Millius showed up on the shooting day when Cloris Leachman drives through the cars. Right. And yeah. John Millius showed up just to fire a rifle. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's so amazing. You, you look for him. He's the main guy shooting with the sunglasses. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah. now I'm going to have to yeah, get yeah, that another yeah. watch. That's crazy. Yeah, it's funny that because Jonathan Demi Crazy says, Mama is crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Very true. laughs> that's interesting because Jonathan Demi uh, only agreed to do the movie if his wife could do second unit. So that's interesting that he then oh, I didn't know that. like, I yeah, know he, that. then he didn't like uh, all the second unit uh, being used. Um, but after Crazy Mama, you do a re-edit. Oh, can we go back to Candy Stripe Nurses for a minute? Please, yeah, yes, absolutely. Okay. So I was doing both James Cagney and Candy Stripe Nurses and going to school at the same time. Yes, right. That's, that's so a I full schedule. Sleep, and I found the magic formula to stay up. Okay. 
because I, I, I honestly didn't do drugs at all. And I didn't getting, smoke. Get, getting my notepad here. Because uh, I, I was so serious <laughs> about life. I didn't smoke during college at Bennington. With, I was at an all-girls school. I didn't want to laugh. I, there was no time to laugh. There was so much I had to learn about theater then. Mm -hmm. And uh, Anyway, so I, but I, here's what I used to stay up. Jack in the Box fish sandwich, milkshake, and one cup of coffee. And I swear there was amphetamine in the, either the milkshake or the fish sandwich. I didn't want to go without either, but together they worked. <laughs> Alan, I have to be honest with you because I feel like we're close friends right now. That would keep me up all night as well, but it would be because I would have terrible diarrhea all night long. So I would not sleep a wink. That's right. Because I would be fearing. The point is it would keep you awake. It would keep me awake. It doesn't, I mean, and yeah. I might lose weight. Right. So, right. That's the first requirement for editing. You can't have diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be getting up to go to the bathroom. You got to stay at the machine. Stay you know? yep. <laughs> it's true. It's important. Um, so then after. Crazy oh, Mama, oh, oh. So, so Julie yeah. kept being suspicious because uh, there were times that I couldn't be there. And oh, you're you know, running off to the Jack in the Box. box. Here's, here's the best <laughs> story. That, uh, so the line of the James Cagney show, I'm still cutting candy stripe nurses. And I had to get a tux. And it's the gas cr crisis. Mm -hmm. And I have this old Chevy Impala that's, uh, you know, four oh miles gosh. a gallon or something. Yeah. And I run, <laughs> go to get my tux, and I run out of gas on Highland in Santa Monica at 5, 4, oh. mm. And this guy helps me push my car to the curb, and I get my leg smashed between the curb <gasps> and the car. No. no pushing it to me. <laughs> oh my God. No. And my assistant was Hal Harrison, who later became head of Paramount Post for the longest period of time, maybe 30 years. Anyway, he had a Volkswagen and he drove it up and he siphoned gas from his Volkswagen into the Impala. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember he, he swallowed a lot of gas. Oh, oh no. no. Oh no. Oh. no. That's and worse then, than the fish sandwich. Really <laughs> <laughs> keep you up and knock you out. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I anyway, he saved me, and I got there in time. And so when I went to pick up my car, now this is at the you know uh, Century Plaza. All these you know all of Hollywood showed up for James C C Cagney, and and I have my Chevy Impala, right? <laughs> and. and and it's, they bring it up, and I didn't want to leave right away. And I waited till the end, but it was just Jack Lemon, his wife, and me waiting for our cars. And Jack Lemon's wife was bawling him out for embarrassing himself. And he turned away from her and looked me right in the eye and went, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, mouth yes. fuck. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't say it out loud at the time because yeah. you know, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, so so we were oh. mixing then Candy Stripe Nurses at Rider Sound. Julie and I were on the couch, uh, with the producer's couches, and that's where you sit when you watch the mix. And she said, Alan, tell me the truth. You really did have another job, right? And I said, yes, I did. And, but I said, but they didn't pay me anything. And she said, that makes me even angrier. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a big advocate of yours then. Yeah, yeah. She and, you know, and she produced C C Crazy Mama. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, yeah. She, uh, so uh, you, you had a much easier time working with Julie than you did Roger. Let's, let's no, um, 
in, in terms of creatively, you know, the it's never an easy time because it's always so fast. It's nothing easy. Right. You know, right. you really have to be, you know, gunning it, although all the mm. time, there's no relief. And, 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 you know, we have one assistant and that's it. And, you know, you have to do coding and syncing and find all the trims and you know, mark for opticals. You know, it's just, you know, it's just crazy. But, you yeah. know, I really like staying up because mm-hmm. I didn't have to live life then. You know, it's right. you know, much better right. staying in the editing room and putting life on the screen. Right, mm. right. How did how did who did the edit the animated uh, opening sequence? For- I don't know. But it was really good. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's really I fun. Just received it. You know, I mean, it's in the credits, but I never met the anime. Oh, okay, okay. But you know, do you know? Can I sing the song for you? The title song. You bet. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I want a bang, bang, a candy stripe nurse. I want a bang, bang, a candy stripe nurse. And it goes on like that the whole time. There's no other lyrics. <laughs> I mean, that's all he had to say. That's all. But, that's, I mean, that was his message. But I really think Alan Holub had a, a, a certain genius about what he was doing in some respects, because the opening shot of Candace Rielsen, the main star, She's bare-breasted, and her breasts are beautiful, and she's beautiful, and it's just the most beautiful shot. And it's a, it's a contrast because you cut to it, and it's there. It's no tease time. It's no building up to it, you, and your mouth drops open because, God, and you don't you only get it again later. And I think it was actually a second unit shot with uh, Robin Matheson, um, and she's on the uh, – there are no words because there's no di- – there's no word spoken. So that's what makes you think it was a second unit shot. Mm-hmm. And she's, she turns on the parallel bars standing up with the guy. And it's just, it's just really be- beautiful. But that the candy strike nurses ended the, the nurse cycle. The cycle. Yes. Yeah. That was yeah. the, that was the, the last one. Thought to be the worst one. Um, but you know, but did, but did it, wait, it's, it's, it's the, the worst building. one. Okay. I haven't, the, it's the third, it's the last one and, and the, not the best. But it opens with a shot of beautiful titties, and it's the no, worst one. No, no, it doesn't open with that. It opens another good scene, which is the uh, Latina woman, Latina girl, yes. young girl, high school student doing a carving, and she's a real rebellious thing. And mm-hmm. she actually has the main plot. And the whole theory of the nurse pictures was a blonde, a brunette, and um, uh, a minority. And it was black until the candy stripe nurses when they switch to latina Got it. Mm. Okay. but and so did they feel it was not a big success i mean the new world no, it was. i'm just saying quality wise review wise oh, people saying the oh. film the filmmaking i see well, but it, it did well financially right financially did fine it yeah. It, yeah. they always did good did yeah. well it, it yeah. fills it um but you you edited um candy stripe nurses you edited uh, Crazy Mama, and then you edited oh, so, or so, did, so, did a re-edit but, of, of, but, of. But before I got to Crazy Mama, I made my film at AFI Skin, based on a Roald yeah. Dahl story. Mm-hmm. So I was still editing my film while I was working on Crazy Mama. Mm. And at at the Doheny Mansion, where the murders took place, the servants' quarters were the editing rooms. And if you were there past midnight, you had to stay till 6 a.m. And I was often, oh. that was my work shift. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I swear there were ghosts. I swear there were ghosts. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and you know, John Cassavetes was the filmmaker in residence there. 
he was cutting husbands in the carriage house across from the main entrance. And um, the rule was uh, you were only allowed to look at him. You couldn't talk to him, and, but he always came out to smoke. So he was always smoking right in front of the school, but you couldn't talk to him. Oh. Hmm. Which is okay, you know. God, how do I implement that rule immediately for myself, Ryan? Smoking in front of schools. Ryan can only look at me. He may not speak to me during certain hours. (laughs) Um, Are you sure it was ghosts, or do you think it might have been the after effect of the Jack in the Box fish sandwich? No, no, that that was. No, this wasn't the, was the, the math inside of the Jack in the Box. There's no after effects. It's your tried and true formula. I trust you. Um, <laughs> but then you did do a, re, a re-edit on Foxtrot, which is a Peter O'Toole movie. Yes. That, that New World did release, but they did they release it or did they re- release the re-release, the edit that you did? I never saw the release. I just handed my work. I didn't see it okay. after that. Because my, they re-released it under the name The Other Side of Paradise. Right. But I don't know if they ever, re- I didn't know if they released Foxtrot as well. Yeah, and then- he, he w- I wouldn't have had to have done, done that. They could have get, gotten someone else to have done that. And I, I, or the distributor or somewhere in, in market. I don't know. I, I didn't, or maybe I did it and I don't remember it. I don't know. Well, do you remember what you what? did on the re-edit? Well, I, I, I trimmed it up. You know, okay, I, so you I, just I, cut, I, it, cut I, it down. He gave it to me and I... Imp- improved it and then after that screening my last screening with Ro- roger was right i i showed him my afi movie right mm-hmm. uh and um uh he only fell asleep once during it and i reached across Solid. the sound was next to sound it was a big dial and i reached across him and bumped him to raise the sound and he woke up <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I walked outside with him and carrying my film can. Uh, I mean, it was shot in 35 millimeter anamorphic. And I said, can I do, can I do, and he said, thank you very much, Alan, I'll see you later. <laughs> and I watched him walk away. And that was it for my phase one of New World. That was mm. and so you were trying to ask him to direct and you couldn't yeah. get the words out. Wow. Now, words. now just one word. One word. One word. Yeah, one word. Now did, <laughs> oh. I, I was curious about that though, because did you think at that time you were done in New World? I mean, you had done a I re-edit, was ready you'd to done, move up. You, I was you ready wanted to, you wanted the directing I, I was, job. Yeah, so. I did a, a great, a really good movie. The movie got reviewed by Charles Champ 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 Champlin in the LA Times. It played in the theater in New York. Uh, with the clowns, which is one of my most favorite movies, Fellini's The Clowns, mm-hmm. um, and um, and Le, Le Violin Duval, which I think was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Foreign, Foreign Film, and my film Skin, you know, at the on sun, Sunset. And um, so, you know, it's whatever, I, you know, I, I blew it, totally blew it. But you then at that point, you went out looking for directing work, but you ended up editing a bunch of movies for Fred Weintraub. That's what yeah, you yeah. I, yeah, I didn't. I had to, you know, my f- friend from a- a- AFI, John Avnet, uh, whose feature I edited before coming out, he did it, his first feature was with Richard Gere starring. Right. And, and it was unreleased, it right? He won't let, let, let it out. It was called Confusion Circle. And he hired me. I mean, we made an exchange. He was going to give me money to so I could finish my the film that I was making, 
in exchange for my editing his movie and some extra. So I stayed in his loft in New York and recut the movie. Um, and so he was working for Fred Weintraub uh, in the producing end. Okay. And, uh, you know, Fred Weintraub came off of the, the Bruce Lee movies and, right. and the, the, the dragon and worked yep. with Bob Klaus all the time. And, uh, and he had a, and Woodstock. And so he was, uh, uh, that's entertainment had just come out and, and he wanted to do a that's entertainment for animals. Okay. So, uh, and um, believe it or not, the last editor he worked with was Michael Kahn, but Michael Kahn was going off to work for Steven. Mm-hmm. So he needed a re- replacement for Michael Kahn. Michael Kahn had edited a George C. Scott movie for Fred that George C. Scott directed. And so he gave me, um, I don't know how many hours of cheetah footage from all the Tarzan. <laughs> right, that's right. And I, I, had, I had a weekend to cut together five minutes of cheetah and then I got the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And so when you, when you, you edited a bunch of movies for him and then you're see- seeking out like you wanted to, you were seeking out more directing work, but you ended up calling Roger because you wanted to work for Francis Ford Coppola, right? Yeah, I was tired of having, doing all this editing to save movies and it's still not a, a good movie. You know, it's an okay movie, but it's like, you know, I wanted a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you, as an editor, you, you apply the same skills to bad movies as you do to good movies, you know, and in fact, you often have to have, be more imaginative to deal with movies that don't work and finding ways to make them work right you know, it's one thing to sit there between four beautiful takes and say we should do this one that should be a little slower here you can't you don't have a chance to apply taste right right <laughs> right, 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 right you know it's always you know how do you make it look like a movie mm-hmm. you know so um or how do you you know build excitement that's not there etc so uh i really want to to, I'm from Baltimore, and I really wanted to do Hammett. Uh, and and uh, Vin Benders was d- directing it, and I loved his work. And so, uh, and it was for Cop- Coppola's for Zotrope, Zo- 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 mm-hmm. and Rudy Fair, who was the um, uh, oh, D- 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 Dashiell Hammett was from Baltimore. That's why. Mm. Uh, oh, okay. okay. And Rudy Fair had gone over to Co- Coppola. So he recommended because he was the supervisor at Warner Brothers. And I was on the floor at Warner Brothers. I was the only one with a flatbed. I had a chem. Uh, and all the other editors were in Moviola. And the other editors were Marsha Lucas on Taxi Driver, <laughs> Robert mm. Wolf on All the President's Men. Wow. Um, uh, Sid Levin on Martin Ritz, The Front, um, and, uh, and Harry and Tonto go something or other, but, but David Brethren was brought in to cut the music se- sequence, and he was the editor of, um, of uh, Cabaret. And even, and, and Claude Lelouch was there cutting Bon, bon And just to tell you how much I stuttered then, <laughs> I was working on New Year's Eve, and so was he. And so I thought it'd be really, we were working late. We were the only ones there. I mean, he was there with his editor. I was there myself. And, and I, all I had to do was say bonane to him as I left, you know, uh, and bees are impossible. And I rehearsed it all day long at the editing machine. And then I, time, time, time came where I had to leave. And I go by his door and I go, boom, 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 boom
<laughs> he was really nice. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so, but this this but, does lead lead you to to Battle Beyond the Stars by trying it to. It sure does, because Roger called. I wrote Roger a letter. I didn't even call him because suddenly I wrote him a letter, and he called me back right away, like the next day. And said, uh, Alan, I feel I haven't seen. And Roger and Francis live next door to each other. Okay. Oh, wow. And, okay. and, and they were really close. And, and Roger's girlfriend, not Julie at the time, was always in the bathroom getting made up in the morning. And Roger didn't have time. So he used Francis's bathroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Francis, of course, being his former assistant, he had been his assistant. No, no, no. Francis Ford Coppola. Right, right. No, he had oh. been, he worked for Roger, though, as, as an a assistant. Director, or, right? or, he did, but he oh. he initially worked for him, like did a bunch of, worked oh. on a bunch of different oh. things. And then, you know, eventually worked uh, his way up doing bits and pieces of the terror. And then he did a oh, Dimension great. 13. And so, yeah. So they'd known each other oh, wow. for, for a long, long time. Um, <laughs> so then he started getting doing his morning stuff in the office and he Got still it. does it or he, i don't think he goes in that much anymore but he did it his whole career okay and so that so that leads, <laughs> go ahead mark Sorry, i was just ahead. gonna say no, just uh, quickly going back to you know you, you described um you know you're working with all these other great editors who are working on you know yeah. some 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 incredibly some of the most memorable movies were you looking at all of them and saying, you guys have got a real cush over here? Because I <laughs> have been over in the new world world and our editing situation is we, we got to move a lot faster here. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was just amazed at being, I mean, Marsha Lucas was my hero. You know, she was amazing. The um, and, and she it was really funny. She had these two assistants. She's very petite. And she had these two assistants who were huge. Hmm. And they were like bouncers, you know. No, <laughs> I was so honored to be up there with. I mean, wow. watch yeah. David Weatherden just, he mm -hmm. would put tiny rolls on a board on the trim bin. And he maybe had 30 of them. And he would, that, and, you know, and then he would, we, he would, there's a technique that New York editors use. And I think he used that. And I used it. and still use it, even though it's, digital so is that you make your choices the first time you see the stuff the, the, the huh. okay and you just identify what you like mm -hmm. and as you do that you're formulating how it's going to work together and you find your most important moments and but you you've got a collection of what you like mm -hmm. and then you always mm -hmm. search through that collection you don't have to go back and look at things from the beginning when you're tired right right lush right you know mm -hmm. what what you thought could do something and so, um, and he did that. I love the way I, I was never as neat as he was. I would have shots on my neck and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. my mouth and <laughs> whatever. You know, I was, I was uh, your oral editor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this essentially is leading us into phase two, where you come back to New World. You're going to edit Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, oh wait, wait, yes. But I have to tell you what happened. Yes. Roger yes. called me to say, come in to the office, I'm doing my biggest picture ever, right? Right. So, um, you know, I had tried to make an independent movie um, uh, that was kind of, it was based on M at the boardwalk. I wanted to do a movie on roller skates. I was a roller skater. Mm -hmm. I, I learned roller skating when it came in, but I skated as a kid, but skating was hip in LA and my girlfriend and I skated. We went to the boardwalk, 
you know, all the time. And I skated to work when I worked for Roger uh, on, on Battle. Um, but, um, but so I made a movie that I shot entirely on roller skates. But I'd written it and, and Irwin Your Blondes wound up uh, ripping me off with Roller bo Boogie. Roller Boogie was not the story I was doing, but I brought the idea of roller skating to him through um, a, a, a student friend of mine at AFI who won an who produced an Academy Award. So he was, um, uh, you know, he could get almost anyone on on the phone at that time, and right. he was producing it. But I dealt with rape because I have rape in my life, and that's always the th I always led with that, and uh, and he wanted to change to drugs and I had to work with his writer and then I couldn't stand the script after a while. And I put it back to where it was and then he dropped it and did roller boogie. So I, um, uh, and, and, um, and then I went with someone else and left my friend who then, and he was the most popular guy. And, uh, he like put me down for everyone. So all my friends hated me cause I left him. And I went with this other guy who turned out to be a total phony and, so I dropped out, took a construction job and wrote a novel about my life. To, so I uncovered, you know, my, the source of stuttering. It didn't help me stop stuttering, mm. but I stopped getting chills when I saw men with thick, hairy hands. So, mm. um, and, uh, but I was, I, but I thought if I were a kid, I would make the movie in Super 8 and, uh, you know, and, and I thought shooting it on roller skates would really free me in my in in being able to, in cinematic vision right so i shot it entirely on roller skates a silent movie and i played the stuttering rapist on roller skates and shot myself you know handheld my arm sticking out and uh and really so, selfies yeah and so and, <laughs> and um and so roger calls and uh, and, and i have a beard then and uh and so um i i, I take a shower and I shave and I cut myself and, uh, and the, in the neck and, and, but it doesn't stop bleeding and it's like gushing blood. And I go, Oh, I've got my ending. I kill myself. And so I, I've been saving this mirror in the basement, uh, well, in the, in the, in the washroom of our apartment. And uh, I, the long mirror with cracks in it, and I put it up, get, get in my apartment, take off my clothes, you know, and let the blood run down you know, across my chest, and I'm filming it down the mirror, the cracked mirror, and it's really cool. And I do the shot, and I realize I am still bleeding. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and so I, I, and I didn't want to call Roger because I would stutter and blow the job. And so I called a friend to ask her to call Roger to tell him that I had to go to the hospital. <laughs> oh, no kidding! Oh and so I get dressed, leave to the hospital, and. It's the bleeding stopped. Okay. And so Good. my friend never called. So I went in and that's the move when he said, Alan, I want you to cut my next movie. I said, yes. The only difficulty was he offered me 500 and I talked him up to 650, you know, which was a drop for me then. And, um, oh, okay. and that's, that, and I, like three days later, I was on the movie. He waited to the very end to hire someone. Wow. wow. So, and this leads us, of course, into your book. So we'll be able to talk about this movie and your book, Celluloid Wars. So which I, is... I, I knew that I really wanted to have a good movie. I mean, I mm -hmm. was desperate to have a good movie. That's all I cared about. 
And so I knew that everything goes wrong in a Corman movie and people fight over everything and everybody, the thing, the biggest energy, because everyone wants to direct, it doesn't matter who you are, you know? And, and so the fastest way to direct is to put down the people above you. So you're better than they are. And you really can always put down the directors. So mm-hmm. that's mm. so I really wanted to, you know, not be in that situation of blame i wanted to be in a situation of how do you make it good yeah and a really important book for me growing up was the Kane mutiny that was mm-hmm. based on a journal that the ensign kept because the captain was you know crazy and you know they didn't know it, it eventually resulted in a mutiny but the issue was doing mutiny or not you know yeah, etc so i i wanted to keep that and i and i just written a novel uh so that couldn't be read by the way uh uh, I gave it to my uh, girlfriend to, um, I was having a screening of skin that night and I gave it to her to copy in the Xerox line because I wanted um, uh, my friends to, to read it and uh, I, and I was still w- working and she offered to do it and she picked me up and she slugged me. <laughs> oh my God. Really hard. And she's strong. It was like, boom. And uh, cause you know, I, I, I didn't hold back any of my thoughts about everything. You know, oh, and, and okay. A lot was about sex, you know. So, and, and that night at the screening, all the guys were on one side, all the girls were on the other side, and all the, <laughs> the women were going, "How could he say that?" And 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 the guys are going, "How could you write that? Why did Why did you write that? Why did you? You, know, you got to keep quiet <laughs> about that shit." <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, so so you started a diary. So, about- so I, I I knew if keeping a journal, uh, I was, I, you know, writing was not a problem for me then. So I, I right, I, right. I just, but I knew the way I wrote the novel it was a construction job. I got up at six every morning and wrote until nine when I had to leave for work or eight eight thirty. So it's just the consistency of every day. If you write every day, mm-hmm. you'll turn out something, you know. And so I wrote every night. Yeah, and it's it's what leads to this book, which does have a very personal retelling of what happened behind the scenes. Is that you get in a lot about how you felt every day and how you know your feelings about the situation, which is great because it's it's not a picture of uh, of movie making that you often get. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always get such a personal recount. Like you might be able to get like we did this and we did that, but you don't get as personal as your book gets. And I really liked it, which okay. I. What you had to say uh, is great news because otherwise this would be really awkward. But I really enjoyed. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I was saying the interview when we tell you we hated it. Oh, oh yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, and it's a really good book. It's really really interesting, and it's go ahead, Mark. Well, well I was just going to say we we were talking a little bit earlier, uh, Alan and I, before you guys jumped on that, and I I'm about thirty percent into it right now. Uh, and and I picked it up uh, like a week ago, so that's why I'm a little bit behind. Um, but what I love, and I think Ryan, to, exactly to your point, is it's such a, a personal point of view, and you're also bringing up all these little nuances to filmmaking and and editing, and like trying mm-hmm. to get the right shot and trying to yep. get the the right emotion out of a scene that I don't think people really appreciate like that amount of craft that's going into Mm -hmm. every day and the frustrations that you have, like I can't control what this group over here is doing, but I have to make it great when they hand it to me. How do I 
how do I balance or how do I bridge the gap between these two things mm-hmm. of like editing this movie and bringing all this, all, all the story together when you're not getting the right pieces that you need to bring the story together. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's, it, yeah. it's incredibly fascinating because I don't, I have not read any other book that goes into that side of filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. Which is, to me, I, I, that's the part I love is those that the, the real challenge of you know there's so many people involved there's so much politics involved there's a bunch of money involved and it's hard how do you keep that all together and make a movie it's it's not easy and yeah, the book yeah. really shows that it demonstrates that it's it's fascinating to read i think it'd be i think it's like really a, it's such an interesting book for so many reasons but it is interesting to get the editor's point of view because i think people feel like they know what editing is but then you read the book and you're like, oh, I don't think I realize like how much juggling has to go on for an editor. And this is a particularly contentious year where the Oscars have like decided to drop the film editing category into a pre-taped segment and not make it live as if it's not a big deal. It's not as exciting. And, not, and I'm like, you know, editors make the movie, you know, <laughs> like they really ultimately take all the pieces and make it work. So it's, it's really a fascinating book for, you know, to get that perspective mm-hmm that I think a lot of people have missed. Well, the, the original title for the book was From My Point of View, Editing the Invisible Art. Oh, okay. Because no. people uh, didn't understand, especially for, I wanted people to appreciate B-movie editing. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and yeah. there's no understanding that that's artistic. Right, you know? mm-hmm. right. Because the movie's not artful, necessarily. Right. You know, but, but you have to be artful to make something work. Right, mm-hmm. and, right, and, and I really wanted to communicate that part of it, and um, I mean the editor doesn't. You know, I have to say the editor doesn't make the movie because it wouldn't be a movie without everyone else. Well, yes, but I mean you you finish. But, but there's there's a but I I did follow up for years making I created this um, uh, event invisible art visible artists um, that has the Academy Award nominees every uh, year meeting the day before the Academy Awards at the Egyptian Theater. Uh, and and showing a scene and t- t- talking about it and it, it's a oh, free cool. event and it started in 2001 and uh, I did it for the first 10, ten years uh, and now there's a there's a, on the ACE website they're showing uh, clips from those or I, I put up one clip a month from from, from that um, oh great and, that's really cool um, yeah I mean I it was uh it, it was su- suppressed for 10 for all all the years I did it they didn't stop me from doing it but they a stopped me from showing it because they were you know putting out um the cutting uh, edge um, um is it called the cutting edge yeah the, the book on editing that had that they mm. spent years uh, su- supporting uh, not but it was it was another Wendy Apple was the uh, d- d- director, so they weren't actually doing the work, but she was interviewing all the Hollywood greats, but and but a lot of mostly directors, but it was people talking about editing, and um, and uh, it was uh, it, uh, not that I didn't mind that, but it was like you know why not have two movies about editing? They they mm-hmm. just and they thought that you know here I was the director and editor. So they accused me of wanting to, using Ace to show them off my directing. No, and it was like I, I, my response was, "I'm not hiding that I want to be a director. I'm not mm-hmm. hiding that at all. I'm part of my blood, you know. Yes, and 
And I picked editing as a career choice to support myself while I was trying to direct because that was the closest thing I could get to directing. And, uh, and also I, you know, didn't like electricity. (laughs) 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 Uh, And I said, but believe me, I would never choose making a documentary about editing as a way to directing a movie. (laughs) 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 They didn't. Yeah. But they needed me to do the show. And so Mm -hmm. they, 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 so I, 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 they took it away from me for a couple of years and they asked me back. And, and I, I, and the way that that shot, it shot very cinematically. I mean, I made, I put the moderator in the center rather than on the side Mm -hmm. so that everyone has to look at each other and it's easy to to talk to each Mm. other on the panel. And, and uh, also you can shoot it. You can shoot it like a movie with re, re, reaction shots and mm-hmm. i had a creative camera in the center and two camera a camera that didn't operate you know that just get the wide shot etc and and then i visualized it and uh you know i was told then that oh no you can't get rights to all this and rights to all that and you know you know the studios don't stop you from using clips of their movies if it's for a good purpose and no one's making money on it and you're showing off their movie. And (laughs) so now it's being shown, you know, 20 years later and um, you know, or, and sometimes in cases, 10, because I stopped in 2010 and no one's saying anything about the clip. I mean, obviously clips are all over YouTube now and it's all fine. Sure. Sure. You know, I knew it then it wasn't that I was some kind of genius then, but it was obvious, you know, that it's going to, Anyway, so, you know, I don't mean to complain because it's I'm happy that they're giving me that honor now. Uh, but it's part of my career, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, this, yes, this the, is not a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, we, we do charge by the hour. So this is this is all this is working out. Um no, so so we when you when you start the book, so we're going to get into the book and we're going to talk about the book. In fact, I've I've I've, I've picked out some some parts for yeah. Alan to read to us. But um, I really wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, let's talk about how you how when you start on battle. Um, you, you, you the lumber yard, of course, Roger has 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 purchased in order to create these kind of sci-fi epics. Star Wars, as you as you mentioned, uh, sort of arbitrary, sort of sort of mentioned because you mentioned. Uh, Lucas uh, editing because she edited uh, uh, the original Star Wars, and you know, so he wants to make a but Star she, Wars movie. She edited the battle, se- the battle sequence. Yes, at the end and, of Star Wars. And, and there's an interesting thing too because I made a documentary about David Lean. It's part of my art of directing series, and it was and and obviously David Lean is the hero of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And and uh, it's you know the whole dogfight that she did. David Lean started that in world war ii mm-hmm. because the the british were um were financed by the u.s and they were the u.s gave them like guaranteed they would buy 35 movies a year no matter what the budget for a for a fixed amount and so they were called quota quickies mm-hmm. david lean was an editor then and they offered him to direct but he said i can't do a film for such a low budget <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> And the top person was Noel Coward, who not only was a playwright and a writer right. and director and producer and star, and he was doing this battle movie uh, in, I think it's called In Which We Serve. And, um, and he was only interested in being there when he was on camera. 
and he had David Lean do all the other shots, all the action shots and the fighting. And so that's how he got all those close-ups and did uh-huh. all saying a certain line when you're up in the cockpit and the, the, all that stuff he created in, mm. in that one movie. Mm. And so they, the Star Wars sequence in the, the battle se- sequence in Star yeah. Wars, you know, captured that. And I didn't know about that movie then. Um, so I, I modeled the editing in battle to, to that because that was just right. brilliant right. Oh, totally inspiring and I didn't have as many shots but it was the question was how do you get that many shots and sure. the key to it was lots of laser beams right, <laughs> right. So, and that could be done and, and Roger had a thing called garbage mats so normally when you shoot a laser beam you, you get a mat it's all beautifully done and perfect but to make it fast you take a piece of black leader and you you scrape it <laughs> <laughs> you you make it by hand uh-huh okay. and and that's a garbage mat and then you're able rather than shooting it and gunning it back you know it takes time you do it right there on the spot so mm. oh wow i didn't so, know that so uh so you're what you what you just said there is that if david lean had gone to the roger corman school of filmmaking he could have done one of those little quickies he did you he know if he really Corman school of filmmaking in britain for the quarter quickies <laughs> you know, yeah you can't quote a quickie, you know. Yeah, but uh, so when you when you come on uh, on board for Battle Beyond the Stars, Roger has bought the uh, lumber yard. Had he already purchased it? He'd already purchased it at that point, right? We bought it. Yeah, yeah. So you, it was it was a co production with uh, Orion. Okay, right. And uh, he took their money and did the he took their money and bought the studio. Which is just a lumber yard, which he yeah. kept looking like a lumber lumber yard. Well, he wanted to because he felt that it wouldn't be robbed if it really looked poor. So the the, the, <laughs> the lumber yard, and he did that. He saw that philosophy in his office. There's a couch in the waiting room that's lopsided, and it's been there for like 25 years. And because <laughs> you know, if you're waiting on that couch, you know you're not asking for more money because you can't even afford a good couch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, so the lumber yard had Hammond lumber, but it was it was broken too. You know, it wasn't even a good sign. Right. And the beauty of it was the parking lot was right in front of the bu- building, in front of the stage, and every old car, dusty old car, was in there. It was like no one there could afford a car wash or a good car. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you you saw it was such a charming thing. I wish. It, People weren't into taking photographs. Right, right. There's not a lot of pictures of it. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to find pictures of it. It's really hard. Now, so to correct me if I'm wrong, I think what's fascinating about Battle Beyond the Stars is that it's so ambitious uh, for Roger Corman. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like Roger was not prepared for how a movie of this scale could be produced the Corman way with a fixed release date and a script that John Sales wrote where he said, just write the movie, just write whatever you want. Don't worry about budget. And, and then he's going to try and make this release date in a very short amount of time. By today's standards, it would be, it would never even be done. Cause it's well, we, were, just... we were going up against uh, empire strikes back. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and they were coming out, they came out in May and you know, if you don't come out during the summer, you you lose you lose the right. kids so you know his he was aiming for june and it eventually came out beginning of august so he still made the summer right uh and and that philosophy you express he does with all the films he tells the writers 
don't write for the budget. You know, you know, I want you to write the movie in your mind and we'll figure out how, how to make it. 